Start your computations for time warp. Bones, you come with me. You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. You're listening to The Diner on GGR Pirate Radio. So, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, Batman, Lethal Weapon 2, Star Trek 5, Ghostbusters 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Back to the Future 2, The Little Mermaid, Dead Poets Society, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Field of Dreams, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Glory, When Harry Met Sally, Driving Miss Daisy, Major League, Roadhouse, Uncle Buck, UHF, The Burbs, The Abyss, like all of those came Mm. out. I've never heard of any of those. It <laughs> <laughs> was nuts, man. Like, and and think about like that too. Like Disney had Little Mermaid and Honey I Shrunk the Kids, and those two movies. If it wasn't for them, they wouldn't have had that renaissance that they had in the early '90s. Like those two movies, because Honey I Shrunk the Kids became the highest-grossing live-action Disney movie, and mm. Little Mermaid was like everybody was like, "Oh wow, Disney does good movies again." Sweet, and like it really kind of. I wouldn't say like brought them back, but like it was, it was pretty integral in their success. So the, the little mermaid was the first movie I ever saw in the theaters. Oh, wow. I was three years old. Really? Yep. Oh That's my cool. goodness. The first one I ever remember seeing in the movie theaters was, was ghostbusters. Mm. And that I would have been like, four, like right? three or four years old. Yeah. The first movie I saw in the theaters was The Sound of Music with Julie Andrews. <laughs> uh, just to put a little perspective on it all. <laughs> hey, it was in color. It wasn't in black and white. So you're, you're fine. That's true. As long as, as long as you weren't like the first movie I saw was the first talkie and it was starring Charlie <laughs> Chaplin, you know? Like... <laughs> hey, hey, let me tell you something. They had intermission back then. Yeah. <laughs> MC, what was the first movie you remember seeing as a kid in the theaters? Uh, I want to say it's Lion King. I'm not. Into, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it, I feel like it's the Lion King. Yeah, yeah. That's a that would. I mean, damn, that would have been a good one too. I remember so scary because you guys are talking about like films that I I look at as contemporary movies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Steve fucked me up with that one. I was like, oh shit, damn! The get the fuck out of here. Uh, no big man. I mean, <laughs> Toy Story Four is out this weekend, and I'm like, oh my god! I remember seeing Toy Story One. one. Yeah, <laughs> I remember sitting in the back of a, uh, of a of a of a of my friend's mom's station wagon to go see that movie in the movie theaters. Yeah, like the What's first your one. Friend's mom. Say what now? With your friend's mom? Nice. Yeah, well, you know, hey, you got to start somewhere. Because <laughs> <laughs> your friend named Stacy, because I think I heard a song about it. <laughs> yeah, I wrote, that. I wrote that song. Common uh, common Misconception. That's my song. Uh, <laughs> this is Robinson. Are you trying to seduce me? <laughs> here, little, here, little Mikey, let me take you to go see Toy Story in the movie theaters. <laughs> I got a different kind of Toy Story for you later on. <laughs> oh, oh you spilled your popcorn in your lap. Let me wipe it up for you. <laughs> Boy, this took a this took a very strange turn. DGR after dark, guys, <laughs> but guys, these are the kind of kind of conversations we have here at the diner. 
Because this is the second episode of our uh, cavalcade of entertaining podcasting we're doing here. Uh, we're talking about movies. We're talking about how, and I mean, it's now. I mean, it's 1989. was was 30 years ago. This this summer marks like the biggest movie summer ever. 30 years ago, like it, I read off the list a little bit earlier, but like just to kind of put into perspective, all of these movies came out within a few months of each other. So like. I remember there was a uh, behind the music about Weird Al Yankovic, and he was talking about how he made UA, UHF, right? It came out in the movie theaters, but it was going up against Indiana Jones, Batman, Lethal Weapon 2, Star Trek 5, Ghostbusters 2, Back to the Future 2, and The Little Mermaid, all at the same time. Like, they were all going up against UHF, and he's like, yeah, we didn't really make that much money, because there were a lot of other movies that came out that year. <laughs> like, But even UHF in its own right, like it, it ended up becoming like a... Um, like a cult classic and all of those movies that I, that I listed field of dreams is probably one of the best baseball movies of all time. But what's incredible is field of dreams and major league both came out the same year. And I arguably, I would say those are two of the best baseball movies that have ever come out. And like to think that they came out essentially against each other in the theaters. And like you got movies like driving miss Daisy, which won an Academy award for Jessica Tandy. I don't remember if Morgan Freeman pulled one down for that one or not. Um, I know that Glory came out, and that's when um, Denzel Washington won his first Academy Award. Um, I mean, there's just a ton of incredible movies here. Like, Uncle Buck is one of my, like, favorite of all time. Like, I love that movie. In fact, like, my my byline for this article was Mike Lunsford, editor-in-chief of GGR and Molly Russell's Wart. Like, I just, I love, I love Uncle Buck. Um, the Burbs is a really underrated Tom Hanks flick that, that is pretty, pretty flicking, uh, pretty freaking funny. And The Abyss was a James Cameron movie that I thought was really, really underrated as well. Um, wow, this is just like an awesome... You know what movie... You know, of all these ones, you know which ones I've never seen all the way through is Dead Poet Society. Me either. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Yeah, I've seen that part, but like... I, I didn't watch that one all the way through. I can't remember what... It, ha- it, what it has a fucked up end. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. It does, yeah. It really does. Um I remember going to see Back to the Future 2 in the theaters, and I remember it being, even as a kid, I was like, this wasn't as good as the first one, but now we have to go see a third one, so this should be pretty exciting. But the best part about it was the hoverboard and the and the, the Nike shoes that laced themselves up. <laughs> you know, that was like 2017 or something he went yeah. to. <laughs> 2015, yeah. yeah. It was four years ago. <laughs> I, I remember everyone freaking out in 2015, being like, it's back to the future year. Where's my flying car? And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> there was, they, they actually, they did a really funny um, article about that on Cracked, where they talked about some of the things that actually came true. And they said one of the things is they were talking about in the 80s cafe, uh, the things that were on the menu, it, it was um, barbecue sushi. And I was, I was like, well, how is that today? And they're like, fusion food, where you're mixing two different cultures is a huge thing in cooking now. And I was like, oh, that's a really good point. And there were a couple other ones that, like, the 3D movie thing with, like, the 3D Jaws, like, 3D movies were really, really big. Um, they, they, at the time, in 2015, like, everybody was going to see everything in 3D. So, like, they were, they were on to something in certain aspects. But, of course, you know, we can't put a dehydrated pizza in a re- rehydrator and it becomes a pizza in a matter of, like, seconds and, like... We can't get. You can. It just doesn't taste very. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it's always lunch. Yeah, this is <laughs> lunchables. Jeez. Um. So, 
we're the tie-in with all of this, guys. And, and welcome back to another episode of GGR Pirate Radio. My name is Mike Lunsford. Uh, alongside of me for this uh, lively conversation we're going to have here about movies is the co-host and co-creator of uh, The Great Geek Refuge, co-host of GGR Pirate Radio. His name is Steve Monick. You may also know me as the founder and host of the Fantastic Forum. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Wait a second. You're reading the wrong script, aren't you, Monik? Oh, yeah. I forgot who I was for a second. He's making this shit up as he goes. (laughs) (laughs) You know it. The the third musketeer in our GGR Pirate Radio uh, podcasting extravaganza is the wonderfully talented Mr. MC Brooks. Head of the Revengers. Head of the Revengers. I like that. I like that a lot. And we've also got joining us uh, the host and executive producer of Fantastic Forum. His name is Ulysses E. Gamble. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Of course, man. Of course. The real one, of course. Not I was joking. <laughs> I never hold a candle to Ulysses. <laughs> oh, please. Oh, You're an inspiration, so Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, Monik? You're inspiring people. <laughs> to lose weight <laughs> <laughs> hey that's incredibly positive <laughs> yeah it's a good thing man it's a very it's a very very good thing um i wanted to talk about just briefly here i wanted to talk about uh because yuli mentioned in the last episode of uh ggr pirate radio that we are coming up on the 30th anniversary of the release of tim burton's batman which came out you said june 25th of, of 1989 is that june correct 23rd 23rd okay 23rd yep mm-hmm and one of the things that I wanted to bring this up about and, and kind of go into some of the other movies that are coming out this year or are, have already come out, Batman was unique in a way because think about like what Batman was. This was one of the first movies that had like the full court press. This wasn't just like, hey, here's a cool movie that's going to come out. There was a whole hype machine behind Batman and it's kind of re- responsible for a lot of stuff that we see now. Like, it was, there were toys, there were t-shirts, there were posters, there was, like, fast food tie-ins at McDonald's. Bat, Batmania swept the nation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Prince had a whole album. Like, there were music videos. Like, it, it, you never really saw this kind of marketing for anything like this. And it was kind of unprecedented, but it also kind of reinvigorated the comic scene, too. Because this was, for a lot of kids, like me, for instance, I was, what was I, seven years old at this point? And... I mean, I had heard of Batman from, like, Super Friends and stuff like that, but, like, seeing him on the big screen and not being, like, this goofy, campy person that teams up with Scooby-Doo every now and then was, like, oh, wow, this he's kind of dark, and that got me into the comic books. And if it wasn't for Batman, for the success of this movie, you wouldn't have seen the, uh, the animated series that we all have uh, discussed at great length, how much we love and enjoy. And... This really, like, I think this movie and its success was was part of the reason why the MCU was able to do the things that it did. I mean, like, why Star Wars was able to have such a resurgence, and we saw every single possible thing you could slap a Star Wars logo on uh, come out as marketing. Um, so, I mean, even in spite of what a lot of people feel about the Tim Burton Batman movie, it really was the predecessor for a lot of what we're seeing now with the comic book movies. Obviously, Superman was the first, like Yuli had mentioned in the last episode, but Batman really kind of changed the way everything was done when it comes to movies. Well, summarized. Mm-hmm. And like it's it was cool to be to be part of it as a kid. You know? Like you you went out to Toys R Us to find the Batman action figure and the Joker action figure so you could have them duke it out. And like 
I, of course, because I was a spoiled little brat, I had like all of the toys too. I had like the Batmobile. I had the uh, the Batwing. Like all like the, all of it. I was so in on Batman. It was it was ridiculous. I might have even had the Batcave. I'm not gonna lie. Like it was it was it was pretty, it was pretty it was pretty cool. But um, yeah, it was it was such a cool time to be a kid and see this superhero come out. And like the funny thing is, is Batman. Like he's not even my favorite superhero. Like Superman of the two is I prefer Superman over Batman, but like it was because of Batman that I really got into the superhero comics and stuff like that. So so big shout out to Batman. And uh, if it wasn't for Batman, we wouldn't have had that uh, unfortunately uh, cut off too early Flash series that was on CBS. Kind of back. <laughs> yeah, in a, yeah, sort of in a way. The, the, the interesting thing you said, Mike, was that you like Superman more than Batman, which I, I bet if you took a poll of everyone in the country, I, I, I feel like Batman might come out ahead. Yuli, yeah, Yuli, how do you feel about it? Because I feel like you have very strong DC Comics opinions. Well, I think today you're probably right. And I, I remember uh, thinking when Batman first came out in 1989, because – you know, Superman and Batman, very different characters altogether. I mean, Superman is all about blue skies and fluffy clouds and the sun shining. And, you know, Batman is essentially just the opposite. And um, I, I remember thinking that, you know, this particular character, also because of the darkness of the character, uh, this is something that sadly resonates with people uh, in in the modern in age when you have a lot of people who are very jaded and you know we're a very violent culture i mean you just look at the video games uh, primarily you know with that and uh, you know a lot of the different movies that are popular and uh, you know superman has sort of been almost passe i mean people you know want to call him a big boy scout and know he's boring and this and this well Batman is a bone-breaking, hide-in-the-shadows, scare-the-piss-out-of-you, you know, really terrifying kind of character. And I, I think, you know, it's the same way that a Wolverine can be the most popular comic book character today, you know, where a character like that 40 years ago that used edged weapons primarily could only have been a villain, you know. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's just a sign of the overall, uh, I, I don't want to say negativity, but I, I, I'll say the, 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 the times where people are sort of generally pessimistic and, um, you know, believing in more in darkness than in light. Yeah. I, I also think it's, it's a little bit of, like just general ignorance to Superman in the modern day, because if you, if you just look, I think a lot of people, and, and I can even kind of have a, I had a claim in this before I met Mike, which is you just kind of look at Superman as just this overpowered being who doesn't really have a weakness outside of a green rock that only exists in the, in the, in the comics. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, how can you make a character like that? Interesting when he's already ridiculously powered, outside outside of kryptonite and i mean i've since you know meeting mike and all of you like i've learned a lot more about superman and there are a ton of ways that you can that you can make him interest that you can make him interesting but i think for a lot of people he he just doesn't come off as an interesting person because 
he's ridiculous. He's ridiculously overpowered in a lot of people's eyes. And I and I can see that too. It, it's when you break down the two characters of Batman versus Superman. What do they? What are they symbols for? Superman has said that that symbol on his chest stands for hope, and that's what Superman is supposed to be: is hope. It's hope that we can become a greater thing. That's why Jor-El sent him here. You know, he can be an example of the great things that humanity can be, and he can help protect them and help lead them. Whereas Batman is the symbol of vengeance. It's the symbol of revenge, you know, like this is what happened and I'm not going to let it happen to another child again. I'm not going to let somebody else's family be destroyed. I'm going to clean up my city. I'm going to fix this thing. It's two vastly different characters that honestly, I don't really, I don't don't have any condemnation for anybody who like, or for like society as a whole where it's like, okay, people like Batman more. I get it. Like Batman's a badass dude. He's a ninja. He's a detective. He's a scientist. Like he's a, he's a friggin' badass. I just, I like that Superman has the powers of a god, but doesn't destroy everything because it's all about restraint with him. Yes, you can destroy, but what's more powerful than destroying creating and bringing people together? And I think in our time, in our day and age right now, that the message of Superman is more important than the message of Batman. That's just my opinion. And that's just my, my take on it. I think you're right, and I, I. But it's sad that the message of Batman is the one that resonates more, because you're right. The message of Superman is the one that we need to hear. I'll, I'll go you one better. When we were kids, we thought. I mean, because you look at the psychology of these characters, and this is what's always fascinated me, because Superman is. I mean, he is Superman. I mean, this is Kal El of Krypton. He's got these powers. He's godlike, you know, and yet, um, and and, and th- this is actually where I was going with this. Okay, so he he made up this character of Clark Kent to be able to mix with humans. Where Batman, you know, Bruce Wayne, he suffered this traumatic event in his childhood, and in a way to cope, he creates this character, this Batman, who is this. Uh, for want of a better way to put it, an agent of uh, instrument of vengeance. Now, here's the thing, and this is where it messed me up when I looked at the psychology of these characters, because you know we thought as kids Bruce Wayne was the real guy and Superman was the real guy. But if you examine the psychology of the characters, even though he was born Kal El of Krypton, he was raised by the kindly Kents in Smallville, Kansas. The, the values that Superman has are time-honored Midwestern values that were instilled to him by his farmer parents in this small town. He sees himself as being Clark Kent. This is, this is who he really is, despite these godlike powers and hence the ability to restrain himself, okay? Now, conversely... Bruce Wayne, because of the trauma of watching his parents be gunned down in front of him, hit the psychology of him. Who he really is inside is this avenging creature of the night. Bruce Wayne becomes the fiction that he uses to facilitate his war on crime. And let me tell you something, that fucked my head up. When I looked at this, it was like, oh my God, it's the exact opposite of what we always thought it was. (laughs) I mean... But it was really cool because, again, psychologically is what you want to look at in terms of these two characters. And the whole reason they can be friends 
is, and, and um, Mark Wade got to the bottom of this in that, um, uh, that uh, I can't think of the title of it now. I just, it was on tip my tongue, but um, uh, the, the, the miniseries that he did, that um, uh, the painter did, I, I, and now I'm, I'm blanking on all that, but yeah, because he says, Superman says to Batman, he's like, and this is the key, Batman doesn't want to see anybody die. You know, I mean, that that is the key. And that's that is the common ground. Are you talking about Kingdom Come? Which, yes, thank you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that is the common ground on which the two of them stand is defense of life, the sanctity of life, how precious this is, each and every life, you know, and, and that's the way you have to look at it. I mean, you can't just as, and this is one of the things that troubles me about where we are today socially and culturally you know there are people who devalue casually devalue other people and oh if you don't look like me or if you don't think like me you know then you're not worth as much as me no every life is valuable every life i mean even the lives of those people with whom we disagree who might do evil you know i mean because quite frankly you you everybody has the opportunity to change and even some of these people that might be perpetrating these horrible deeds have the opportunity to change and to go another way. You know, and there's value in that. There's great value in yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, that's a, really, that's a really good point. Like, I honestly thought we were just going to be like, hey, did you guys like this Batman thing that he did? No, wait, this, wait, this got deep, dude. And like, this, this well, is, the characters are deep. Yeah, this is why, <laughs> this is why I love having the team that we do at GGR because we're, we're able to find more than just what's on the surface of these, uh, these incredible characters and these, and these things that we love so much. Um, I wanted to go into the, some of the other, the other movies that came out in 89. And then I want to talk about some, some stuff that's come out this year um, in particular uh, of all of those movies that came out. Cause I feel like everybody's got one that is like their, their favorite of, of, of the ones that I listed. Um, but like, Steve, I feel like you're going to go with Indiana Jones and the last crusade. Am I correct in, in assuming this? Well, yes, no, I guess it depends on the specificity of your question, but I mean, at Indiana Jones and the last crusade actually is my favorite of the Indiana Jones quadrilogy. Um, but obviously little mermaid, I mentioned before we started recording, it has a special place in my heart. Cause that was the first movie I ever went and saw in the theaters when I was a couple years old. So, um, you know, it, it, depending on the definition of your question, one of those two is going to be my answer, but there's probably a little more to unpack with Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um, so we can go there. Well, yeah, I mean, like it's, I, I personally, I still think Raiders of the Lost Ark is the best of those three. Um, but like, I guess we're not really comparing it to that. We're comparing it to all the other movies that came out in 89. They're all that on the exact same day. You've got 10 bucks to see one of these movies in the theater. Is that the one you're going with? Is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Yeah, I think so. And I think because um, my dad was never as big of a movie, but he likes movies plenty. Don't get don't get me wrong. But like when it comes to kind of the geekier, nerdier stuff like that was my mom's wheelhouse. And that's what we shared. Like she introduced me to Star Wars and we would watch Batman, the animated series together and that kind of stuff. But spy movies and like Indiana Jones were the movies that my dad liked and introduced me to. And so when you have James Bond in in the indiana jones movie and it's like my dad is introducing it to me 
and there's that father-son relationship riddled throughout the movie very much like i like return of the jedi the most even though maybe it's not technically the better movie it's the one for me that just has way more impact on it um so yeah that's where i'm spending my 10 bucks and you know, it's very quotable and it's got a lot of good action pieces to it um i i thought i mean even when crystal skull came out before everyone uh kind of knew what it was and it eventually kind of became the joke that it was um I don't know. I just kind of felt like they should have left it at three. I felt like that was a perfect ending where they're riding off into the sunset after accomplishing their mission and accomplishing it in the sense where it's like, you know, we didn't actually get the treasure we were looking for. What we kind of realized that, you know what, maybe some treasures are better left uh, where they are. And the real treasure was the adventure and that we all, you know, kind of came out of it together. Uh, We all learned something about each other. Like that was kind of a great way to finish that trilogy for me. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, you know they're making another Indiana Jones movie. Right? I know. <laughs> and you know what? I'm gonna go see it. So <laughs> I'm not even, you know, yeah. Hey, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you... Hey, hey um, before you before you get into this, yeah. I, I just want to mention there are a bunch of movies that came out that you didn't even mention <laughs> that came out in 1989. Oh, I just mentioned the big ones. Go ahead, man. Yeah, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh yeah, no, I hit that one. Uh, yeah. Oh, you, you mentioned that one? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even realize that you had mentioned that one. Okay. Um, in that case, um, let me see. Uh, yeah, they're making another one of those, too, they right? They are, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> with, their do- oh, with their daughters, which should be interesting, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, that, yeah. Did you mention Pet Cemetery? No, I didn't. That's not even on the list. That's a good call. That, yeah, that came out in April of uh, of. of uh, 1989 Dude, that movie fucked me up as a kid like i couldn't watch it like when when okay so you know I, I can't really say it's a spoiler the movies the book's been out for like 35 years and the movie's been out for 30 but like at one point the the little boy in the family gets run over by a truck and dies and the premise of the pet cemetery is you go bury your pet in the pet cemetery and then it comes back to life but it's not the same as it was before it died Ooh. And <laughs> after the kid's funeral the dad kind of loses his mind and goes to the cemetery and like digs up the kid and takes his body to the pet cemetery i'm like oh nope 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 fuck this and i stopped watching it i was like i don't want to see this i'm done oh that was so smart <laughs> like i didn't watch i didn't watch the rest of that movie until i was an adult and even as an adult, Jax was little when I watched it, and it fucked me up then too. Because I'm like, that's that little kid looks like Jax, and I'm like, this is messed up. And then he has to kill his own son. Like Stephen King, <laughs> Stephen King said that he was writing this book, right? And he and he's finished with it, right? And he hands it to his wife, and his wife looks at him and goes, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" Like after she read it, she was like, she was like, this is the most fucked up book that I've ever read in my life. And he's like, I don't want to release it. He's like, I don't want this to go out. This is, this is, this is too scary. And his publisher was like, you got to get me a book like tomorrow. And he's like, how about Pet Cemetery? So he, so he gives him Pet Cemetery, and he's just like, I don't think I should have done that. And he like he he doesn't say that he regrets the book, but he says like he's like he's like I went to a really dark, fucked up place with that book. And, like, if you've read it, you can attest to this. This is absolutely true. And, like, the movie is just as dark. And they're making a new one. They're making a newer version that's going to be true yeah. to the book. And that looks fucked up, too. Like, 
Yeah, that just came out a little while ago. Did it already was come it like out? Last, yeah, it was like last month, right? It had like John Lithgow and stuff in it. Uh, Pet Cemetery. Let me, I don't know. That's a really good yeah. I, don't, I don't even know. Yeah, Stephen King is really twisted. Hey, just uh, as an aside, Earth Girls Are Easy oh, came out in 1989. I remember also. that movie. That movie was pretty funny, yeah. That was like the first time <laughs> we got to see Jim Carrey on, on the big screen, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it was and, even two uh, months ago. April fifth yeah, is when the re-release, the, yeah. oh, the remake was yeah, released. Damon Wayans also. Oh, Karate Kid Part Three, we- Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Don't think you mentioned Weekend at Bernie's. I did not mention Weekend at um, Bernie's. Yeah, <laughs> which is to me that's a freaking classic. You gotta like <laughs> Every time I hear that, I always think of that. Remember that episode of uh, Friends, Steve, when they're playing the uh, the contest for the for the big apartment. And uh, they asked the question and, and Ross goes, what is what is Rachel's what is what does Rachel say her favorite movie is? And Joey goes, Dangerous Liaisons. And then Ross is like, what is her actual favorite movie? He's like, Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <We can't burn. laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, License to Kill. I mean, I throw that in just because, hey, it's a Bond movie. That's right. When, yeah. Harry, met, when Harry Met Sally. Yeah. You know, they say um, that that was like the, the original rom-com. That was like the one that really started that whole genre more or less and like really oh, like really helped to pick up steam mm-hmm. sex and lies like and videotape t adult also gets a, a short shrift with the with the bond rankings and everything it's always like oh connery and everything but like i like the two t adult ones i don't know anyway yeah, go yeah, on yeah, timothy dalton's pretty cool i was surprised um, he didn't see, get more yeah yeah. Holy crap, the Brave Little Toaster came out in 89. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, uh, Black Rain. Oh, that was the Michael, I thought was the Michael Douglas flick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott directed, yeah. you know? So, um, a, let's see. What's, uh, yeah. It was, a um, pretty, it was a pretty, like, dense, densely packed um, year for movies. Do the right thing? Wow. Damn, how did I miss that one? I think I did just, I think I focused on just like the summer of 89 is what it was. But yeah. like, Oh, Harlem Nights, which is another film that you kind of got to mention. Oh, and All Dogs Go to Heaven. I remember <laughs> yeah, that movie. Yeah. Yuli, if you had 10 bucks in your pocket, it's 1989. All these movies are playing at the same time. Which one are you going to see? Well, I'd love to tap dance around um, some stuff, but it would be Batman. I was so, I mean, and, and let me tell you something. There were a bunch of other movies that I was excited about, but Batman, I mean, and that little phrase that I dropped about Batmania sweeps the nation. I drove my, excuse me. She was my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> I drove my girlfriend nuts with that. She was so tired of hearing that shit. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> but every time, you know, cause I'd see some evidence of it. It was like, Oh look, here's this new bat product or, you know, some evidence of Batman, you know, in popular culture, Batmania sweeps the nation. You know? <laughs> She was so tired of that. Oh, I'm sure. But, yeah. And I remember there was a uh, there was a theater in downtown D.C. It was on M Street. It was like M and I want to say 18th. It was right over. It was just um, south of Dupont Circle. It's not there anymore. But that was where we saw it. We were standing in line to go see that man. And I mean, I was I was just so hyped about that movie. I mean, the music was great. I mean, not only the Danny Elfman score, but you mentioned the Prince uh, companion album. Um, you know, because some of that stuff, I mean, scandalous, party man. I mean, it was just, there was, I mean, oh, there were so many dope hits on that album. And the fact that Prince did it, it was Kim Basinger and she was fine. And, you know, you had Batman. And, and the fact that this was, from a modern perspective, 
they didn't do the Batman origin in that movie. You know, basically it opened up, it was like, oh, he's Batman, there's this stuff going on. I mean, they did the Joker's origin, but it was like, <laughs> you know, they, they showed you flashbacks of Batman. I mean, it didn't start with, oh, he's a kid and here's how he became Batman and all of that, which up until then was sort of obligatory. That was what you did in superhero movies. It was like, oh, yeah, how did the person become a superhero? It's like, we're not getting to that. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. It did It did kind of change, I wouldn't say change the genre, but yeah, it, did, it definitely bucked the trend of, of how you do superhero movies. Mm -hmm. and, and then on top of it, I mean, it was, the movie was freaking crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, because Say what you want about everybody in it, but Jack Nicholson stole that movie he as did. the Joker. Yeah. And to me, I mean, that is, and, and don't get me wrong, I mean, there are other portrayals that I like. I love Cesar Romero in the 66 TV series. But this, to me, was the definitive portrayal of the Joker. And I had it, he referred to himself at one, he says, I'm the world's first fully functional homicidal artist. <laughs> and I was like, damn. I mean, he was just so bent up. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and and I love the scene where I mean, in fact, it was sort of the big reveal for Batman because, um, and actually for the Joker too, because he had been wearing this makeup, and then Kim Basinger threw a, a, a vase of water in his face, and he was oh, American, American, you know, <laughs> and then turned around and was like, boo, and, and all of a sudden. Here's Batman crashing through the skylight and, uh, you know, this visual character and he's got these devices. And I remember as he made his escape, the Joker is like, where does he get those wonderful toys? You know, it was like, oh, damn. It, it was. I got I to gotta watch that movie again. I haven't watched it in probably uh, like a decade, if not more. Like, I, I loved it when I was a kid, but I haven't really watched it that many times. Like, every time a new one comes out, I'm more focused on that. But I think I should go back and watch the Burton one. Yeah, there's a, there's really a lot to it, and you know, especially when you consider all these other. I mean, because a lot of what came from uh, from uh, stuff stuff sprung from that. I mean, particularly the idea of the bat suit, you know, because and that was where they sort of established that because up until then he'd been wearing tights. He was just a really buff dude, but you know, they they extrapolated on that. So, well, wait a minute, he needs some kind of body armor. And I thought that was great, you know? It was like, oh, damn, you know, this is a suit. I mean, this is how you can have Michael Keaton play Batman, and it's not a joke. You yeah. know? It's like, <laughs> the suit is all muscled and whatnot. Yeah. And I had to I had to remind people because, you know, there were some, uh, you know, when uh, Gal Gadot was cast in Wonder Woman, and, you know, she needed to put on some weight. And I, I heard uh, some, some women who were trying to, you know, accuse me of being um, sexist. They were like, oh, well, you know, nobody's asking about her acting chops. They're just like, can she play the role? And I said, excuse me, young lady, but you don't remember 1989 because you weren't born, you know, or whatever. But, you know, I said how people talked about Michael Keaton because, I mean, he was a comedian. And it was like, you're kidding me. Michael Keaton is going to be Batman? I thought that was a... I said, oh, no, you must mean he's going to be the Joker. You know, it's like, what? No, he's going to be Batman? How is that going to work, you know? I mean, and and he was great in the role. I mean, he was really great in the role. He really was, so, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I got to give it another watch, man. Um, if I have to pick one... Damn, this is going to be hard. Christmas Vacation. That's a good one, though, dude. It really is. Weekend at Bernie's. No, no thank you. Um, I, you know Tango what? Cash. 
I'm going to go with Field of Dreams. Mm. I this is the this is the first time this is the first movie I remember ever seeing my dad cry at. Mm. Like that first off it's about baseball and like baseball is one of those things like it just gets in your blood. It, it, like you you either love it or you're you're just kind of like lukewarm to it. But ba- I love yeah, baseball. You either love it or you're fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, not pulling any punches tonight from you, Lee. Uh, <laughs> Feel, Field of Dreams is one of those movies that I just absolutely love. It is one of my favorite movies. I make a point to watch this probably at least like once a year. And like, I remember going, I remember we were watching this movie. We, we rented it from, from Blockbuster. It was me and my dad watching this together. And I remember when they get to the end and he has that, like the, the big reveal, you know, and he finds out that the whole time, all of this stuff that he's been doing wasn't for Shoeless Joe, it was for his dad. And, like, he says to his dad, like, he introduces his dad to his to his daughter, you know, to his dad's granddaughter. But, like, doesn't say, this is your granddaughter. He says, this is John. And they introduce him. And, like, they're not going to say anything. And then at the very end, right before a guy walks off into the field, he goes, hey, dad, you want to have a catch? Like, oh, dude, like, if that doesn't break you up, man. Like, that was... God, like that was so gut wrenching. I just remember looking at my dad and he's crying, and I'm and like, not like bawling his eyes out, but you know, like a tear or two. Like, and still, like I can't watch the movie without tearing up a little bit, man. Like that, it is, it is, in my opinion, one of the most powerful movies. And like I was explaining it to Jax because he was watching it with me, and he's like, he's like, Dad, why are you crying? And he's like, is it a sad movie? Because like he was in and out doing like other things, and I was like yes and no I was like it's kind of happy and he's like oh happy tears you're like so happy that you cry and I was like basically yeah and he was like oh okay I don't really get it but whatever and just kind of walks away and I was like all right, all right well to each their own I suppose um but that would be the one yeah exactly but that would be the one that I would want to I would want to see again um in the theaters because it's just I think it's just such a wonderfully put together movie and nothing against any of the other movies that you guys mentioned. Uh, like I said, I got to go back and watch Batman cause I haven't seen that shit in, in years. Um, I almost said star Trek five, but for, for not for, because it's I'm a glad great, you didn't. <laughs> not, because it's a, Burn. not because it's a great movie, but because <laughs> I, that one w- was, was special to me because this summer, the summer of 89, like this is the first time I remember really going to the movie theaters a lot. And I like fell in love with going to the movies because my, Mm. my aunt took me to go see Batman and she took me to see star Trek five. And when, when we went and saw star Trek five, like she had just gotten married that year to my, to my uncle John. And like, I don't know, I guess he thought that if he won me over, he was good with the whole family. So he got me like the giant size popcorn and the giant soda. And like, I just, even though that movie was was total dog shit, like I just have these great memories of going to see that movie in the theaters with them. So like, it wouldn't even be so much to see that movie, but like somehow, if we're able to use the time machine, replicate that feeling that that I had when I went to go see that movie. So that that's a lot of this is just nostalgia for me, is really what it is. Um, but yeah, well, Field of Dreams is a really good movie too. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. movie. Um, Major League is one of those ones too that like I feel like we haven't really mentioned. But like, God, I, anytime that's on, I, I drop what I'm doing to watch that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> like that is that is just absolutely fantastic. MC, uh, we'll go ahead and let you do this one, and then we'll uh, let Yuli tell us a little bit about Men in Black International and uh, X Men Dark Phoenix. Um, if you had to pick one of these movies, you somehow get to magically go back to 1989. Um, 
and you get to see one of these movies in the theater, Wh- which one are you picking? And like, what, like, what's the one you want to go with? I was going to say, I'd, I'd be one years old, so I wouldn't be seeing any of these movies. Well, you're going back in time, <laughs> man. You're you right now. <laughs> We're not taking one-year-old um, MC Brooks here, okay? We're taking... <laughs> Um, what did everyone else pick? Because I um, I don't I don't want to double down on uh, Steve. Don't worry. Steve chose Steve chose Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, uh, Yuli choose, chose Batman. I chose uh, Major League or not Major League. I'm sorry. Uh, Field of Dreams. Uh, I mean, you got a, a pretty big list here. I mean, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Ghostbusters yeah. Two, Lethal Weapon Two, Back to the Future Two, The Little Mermaid, Bill and Ted. Bill Excellent. and Ted. Yeah. Bill and Ted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those wild stallions do rule, dude. That was oh god, that's yeah. such a when cool... Harry met Sally, unbelievable. Yeah, the, yeah. the abyss... Lean on me was eighty nine too. Was it really? Yeah, that was damn. That was a good year for movies. Uh, the <laughs> The Abyss came out. That was a really good flick too. But you... that was a really good movie. Yeah, you would go your your go to would be Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Well, honestly, it, w- it would probably be Batman. Yeah, uh, it, I I I I still remember the first time I saw that movie and just. Like it's that and the animated series is what made me fall in love with the character. Yeah, that the, the first cool. one, the first one plus the animated series, and it's the reason that I went and I went and uh, you know spent money or had money spent on seeing Batman Forever and Batman and Robin was because of the the, the first one, which is where my interest in I'm sorry I'm wrestling a dog right now and he's like <laughs> not trying to let me speak because he wants to play and and wrestle. Aww. <laughs> Um, it's like, say, say all dogs go to heaven. Say all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, this dog's about to go to heaven if he doesn't leave me alone. Sorry, Peter. Sorry, So, yeah, I mean, Batman is, is kind of, that's the one everybody would go to. Like, what's, okay, so you go, you spend your 10 bucks on this one movie, you go see it, right? But what's the one you sneak into after you watch this one? Because I feel like all of us were at that age. At one point or another, when we went to the movie theaters, where you would be like, "I'm just gonna walk into this other theater and catch a second movie, and nobody's gonna be the wiser." The free double feature. Yeah, exactly. Steve, which one would you go to? Which 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 one are you sneaking into? Oh, it, License to Kill. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on, it, pairing up Indiana Jones and James Bond—that's a no-brainer. That is that is a pretty good double feature, man. I think if I do Field of Dreams, I need something to balance that out. So like. I'm I'm sneaking into Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, like after. See, I thought you were gonna go major league and go like serious yeah. baseball, funny baseball. Let's hey, do would, this. That would work too, but I'm feeling I'm feeling like after that one, it's like, well, let's watch this one and then like laughing my ass off because like that is that is I think that's one of the best Christmas movies of all time. That's I, that's one of my favorites. Like, just he's absolutely insane now, but like Randy Quaid makes that movie as Cousin Eddie, like. <laughs> <laughs> we still Sandy and I will still do that to each other where like if, if if one of us says something to the other person and like we know it's true but we're pretending like it's not we'll be like you serious Clark like every time we still do that like, <laughs> Yuli, Yuli which one are you sneaking into man what's your what's your secret double feature uh probably it would be Indiana Jones that's a yeah that's a good one yeah I mean you know for behind the you know because I and again I'd love to I, I would prefer to make some claim like some highbrow movie or something, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I just, yeah. you know, cause Hey, kickboxer came out that year, the mighty Quinn, you know, another movie, you know, but when it comes down to it, I'm going to be, Oh damn, Indiana Jones is playing it. Fuck that. I'm sneaking in here. <laughs> <laughs> Nazis. I hate these guys. 
MC, what's your what's your second one that you're sneaking into, bud? Uh, maybe he's not here because he's wrestling the dog. Yeah, he's yeah, muted. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. I started talking without realizing <laughs> I was still on mute. <laughs> yeah. to, get, to get him to... Like they can't hear me. <laughs> calm the hell down. Um, oh, this is a hard one. Because uh, uh, Karate Kid 3 was that year. Do the right yeah, thing. it was. Oh, I'll go with Karate Russo, Kid 3 because I haven't seen it in forever. you karate shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that is it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you something. I, I, when that movie is on, I will tune in just to see the end. He's like, I'm afraid. Daniel son, it's all right to, to lose to opponent, must not lose to own fear. Yeah. Your best karate <laughs> still inside. Now time let out. Let it out. Kick his ass, Daniel. Oh, dude. Yeah, he got up there and he's like, get the point. He's hallucinating, Mike. Get the point. <laughs> I forgot how much I love them damn Kirby movies. I still I still haven't watched Cobra Kai. Um, I, oh, I haven't seen it either. Yeah. I've heard nothing but good stuff great. about it. Yeah, people tell me it is great. Yeah. I just I can't. I don't know that I could stand to look at it. I mean, not, you know, because that advancing that story, as far as I'm concerned, I don't. I don't. I don't need to see that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was kind of a goof at first, but then finale, that was it. You know? Yeah, I'll have to. Ch- I'll, I'm gonna spend some time, and I'll see if it's any good. Maybe I'll do a review about it and see if it's worth anybody else's time. Um, what I wanted to do here, Yuli, because we're gonna go ahead and wrap up uh, here in just a moment, but I wanted to give the tie in here because. With it being summertime, today is the first day of summer. After all, mm, there yes. are two movies that have already come out uh, for this summer, um, and you have been lucky enough to review them both: uh, Men in Black International and X Men Dark Phoenix. Give us, I mean, because here's one of the things you could do: you could just go right to Great Geek Refuge. You can click on podcast. You can go to the Fantastic Forum, and Yuli has these wonderful bite-sized nuggets where you can listen to his reviews that he's given for them. And they're both right there. Or you can go to the Fantastic Forum website. They're right there as well. They're, they're all over the place. They're on the Facebook page too because he's got a SoundCloud account. Check them out wherever you want to check them out. But it's more important that you just check them out. Which which one of these two did you like more? Men in Black or X-Men? Well, that's not really a fair question, Mike. Okay. Because I'm, I'm very... And the reason I say that is because I am emotionally invested in the X-Men. Okay. And particularly that era from which this dark phoenix storyline comes now i i was challenged by this particular movie because uh, as in the last uh, x-men um the last stand you know where they did the dark phoenix story um you know you 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 sort of rush it when you don't allow the thing to develop naturally and the original dark phoenix story i mean actually i can't even call it the dark phoenix it was the phoenix storyline it evolved over about three years of X-Men comics. And so, um, you know, the way to do this is this has got to be like a cable series where, you know, she becomes Phoenix and then we're doing other stuff, you know, while we're watching this whole thing, maybe in season three, maybe you can get to that dark Phoenix story. Um, I wasn't nearly as invested in men in black, but I got to tell you, I mean, just in terms, I mean, if I had to compare one movie to the other, I'd say Men in Black International is the is the better movie overall. And, you know, again, part of that is because, 
you didn't have this. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I mean, X-Men Dark Phoenix was wonderful in terms of the way that they uh, cherry picked um, and, uh, and, and took the, the best stuff out of, um, of dark, of the, the whole dark Phoenix storyline, because it was going to be, it was going to be tough in that you've got all this stuff that you have to do. And yet, um, you know, how do you, how do you accomplish this, uh, and still tell a story, you know, and, and they just, they didn't have the same, they didn't have the same, uh, draw drain on them. For that Men in Black movie, you know the other thing, uh, the Men in Black movie. I, it, well, okay, Men in Black because both of them had great performers. Although I guess if I got to look at it, you look at the the roster in Dark Phoenix, and certainly I think these people um, probably are. Uh, there were a few more really big actors uh, who were in Dark Phoenix than um, Men in Black. And that's actually saying something because, of course, you know, Men in Black, uh, you had uh, Liam Neeson. Um, you know, you also had, um, crap, I can't think of her name, but a uh, really wonderful uh, female performer. And uh, the lead, Tessa Thompson? No, 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 no. Um, it was, she was a supporting character. Um, wow. And uh, damn, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look this thing up. You know, Thank I'm not looking. Yeah, I'm not looking in the right place. But, um, of course, uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix, you had Michael Fassbender. Uh, you know, you had uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, you had, um, uh, crap, what's his face who played Xavier? Uh, I can't. James uh, McAvoy. Yes. Oh, my God. All you got to do is see Split to know what a freaking dope-ass actor he is. You know, and then you throw in a Sophie Turner. And, I mean, there's so many good actors in that. And, you know, that that – that one to me sort of overshadowed, even though Liam Neeson, I mean, Liam Neeson is, you know, he's huge in terms of that stuff. So, um, anyway, um, you know, I, like I said, I, and, and if you listen to the reviews, um, I, I think that you find out, uh, oh, Emma Thompson is the other actress I was thinking of, you know, who's in, um, and she's, she's huge in that men in black movie. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and there's a tremendous chemistry between Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, largely because they were in those Thor movies together and Avengers, and they really exploit that. And there are a couple, I mean, you think you know what's happening in this movie, and then it turns out you really don't, you know? And somebody had to tell me, there are these guys um, who are, uh, they're like Beyonce's dancers or something, the twins. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the dancers, yeah. Exactly. And they play these alien bounty hunters, and they're really good. And they even get to dance in the movie, which is like, how do you get these guys to dance? It's just hilarious. So, and um, the guy, I don't know if you all watch Silicon Valley on HBO, but one of the guys from that, uh, Kumail uh, Nanjiani, he does a vocal performance of this character, Pawnee, in this thing. And he's really, he knocks it out of the park. So, um, you know, but the fact that this was more of an original movie, building... Frankly, uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. I liked what Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth did in this movie. And so despite my my attachment to the X-Men, and there were there were a lot of 
a lot of Easter eggs in this movie, but ultimately there was a lot of the stuff that was kind of perfunctory. You couldn't have the, you couldn't tell the story the way it needed to be told. I mean, this is probably, you know, looking at the cartoon and that other X-Men movie, um, you know, this is probably the best one where they've attempted it, but it's still, you know, Hey, it still wasn't, I mean, if, if, if I'm telling somebody, oh, you're looking for a great film going experience, I'm going to feel more confident recommending Men in Black than I am X-Men okay. for this particular thing. So, you know? so overall, I mean, because we, we've never really gotten into Men in Black. I don't think anybody's ever actually mentioned a Men in Black on any GGR podcast pretty much ever. It's just like a non-factor when we're talking about movies. <laughs> um, so just to, in, in X-Men, what was... What was wrong with it? What what was wrong with Dark Phoenix that it's been getting trashed so hard? Um, it, it it's not it's not the comic books. I mean, all because there's no reason to tra- to trash the movie. Quite honestly, I mean, I thought it was very well done, and there's just there's just no reason why anybody should want to trash it. I mean, okay, now the problem is is that it doesn't you can't tell this story the way they tried to. You need for the thing to unfold over a period of time. Uh, and and that's, that's just what you need. I mean, you can try as hard as you want to, oh, we're going to do that in this two-hour movie. It wasn't even two hours. It was a little less than two hours, actually, the runtime. And so, um, you know, it isn't that there was anything that they did that was bad or that was wrong other than it just wasn't a faithful enough adaptation that me knowing the original source material could say, Oh yeah, this, you go to see that over this other more original movie. You know, I mean, honestly, I just felt like, wow. I mean, and and again, part of it's because I'm not as emotionally invested in men in black, but they didn't have to work. And, And men in black structurally, this was a very, very well put together movie. You know, I mean, especially I had the opportunity to think about it after I got out and talked to some other people. And it is just a really well constructed movie. Everything makes sense. They avoided some horrible potential cliches. You think you know what's getting ready to happen. And then the thing doesn't happen like that at all. It's like, oh, wait. I mean, because it looks like it's just business as usual for that type of movie. And, and then it isn't, (laughs) you're like, wow, okay. I kind of like what they did here. And I like the chemistry between Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth. Again, it isn't so much comparing these two movies. It isn't so much what was wrong with dark Phoenix as what was right with X-Men, sorry, with men in black international. Now I can tell you that why people are trashing it though, is not just the fact that it was this adaptation of this beloved story, but also it's the last in this series that's being put out by Fox. Disney has acquired Fox. The whole kit and caboodle is now once again under the control of Marvel Studios. The next time we see these characters, they will not be these people. It'll be a whole new deal. And so, you know, there is some, there, there's some angst and disappointment and uh, hurt on the part of uh, fanboys and the audience for this movie. And it's not the movie's fault. I mean, 
The filmmakers could not control what happened. And in fact, I thought that in terms of cherry picking this thing out, you know, I mean, you just, you couldn't have really done a better job than, um, you know, than, than what was done here. You know, in fact, I think, um, I think that the, um, the writer uh, and, um, and producer uh, was uh, Simon Kinberg, and he, he, he directed and, uh, and he, wrote the, um, he wrote the script. But he cherry-picked beautifully from the original story. And I don't think somebody could have really, I mean, for what they were doing, I don't think you could have done it any better. It's just the original story was so rich and so powerful and, you know, I, I guess it evolved over this period of time that they simply could not compete with, you know? I've heard and, a lot of people then, saying that if they had somehow managed to do this as a trilogy, that it would have worked better. Yeah, I mean, but again, you need more time yeah. is what you need, and that's why they say trilogy. Like I said, the, the absolute best way is – this thing has got to be a, a cable series, you know, where oh. you've got a minimum of 10 episodes per season. No one's ever and said the that the X-Men should be on a TV series ever on a GGR. Uh, Nobody's uh, ever recommended uh, that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's gets, funny. And it's mm-hmm. funny you mentioned that because the, the X-Men cartoons did do the dark, did do the entirety of yeah. the Phoenix saga over a 10 episode span. Oh yeah. And it was dope. Yeah, which was going to be better. Yeah. You know, cause you had more time, you know, but you need for her to come out. I mean, for, first, actually, sorry, you need to see the original team, you know, which would be season one. And then maybe at the beginning of season two, that's when they graduate. And it's like the, the 1970 stuff that was drawn by Neil Adams, where they all have their own costumes, you know, because people forget the X-Men fell out of favor horribly in the 70s. I mean, the la- it basically was 1970, in fact, where the last original story was was printed. And then they went into reprints in, the, in their own book. The X-Men only ex- – I mean, they would pop up periodically – as um, guest stars in some other Marvel characters book, most notably Captain America during the Steve Englehart secret empire run. But, you know, aside from that, you know, they were outliers. And then Len Wein and Dave Cockrum revived them with giant size X-Men number one in 1975. And the whole thing took off from there. So, you know, maybe, you know, either in the second half of season two, you start with the all new, all different X-Men or possibly even season three for that. And you go through another season and then you can start doing the Dark Phoenix thing because they were escaping from the Star Corps satellite. Um, uh, Peter Corbeau was the, uh, the astronaut pilot, but he was injured. He wasn't able to fly him out. Gene was able to psychically um, absorb his astro knowledge, you know, and so so she knew how to fly a shuttle and it was like, okay, and and she was able to take because the uh, the cockpit was damaged and she was able to telekinetically seal it. And, uh, you know, and the rest of the X-Men, because they had to fly through dangerous radiation. The X-Men were in the back of the space shuttle in the um, in the life, uh, the the life pod, you know, that was specially uh, shielded against radiation. Well, during reentry, uh, the the jury rigged repairs that Jean had made failed, and she was subjected to lethal levels of radiation. Now, come to find out later that, and they retconned all of this, but the Phoenix Force 
apparently had been with the Gray family for some time. And it had selected Jean and it just wouldn't let her die, you know, at that point. And, you know, it manifested itself in her. And, uh, you know, so here she comes. They crash land at like Kennedy or LaGuardia Airport or something. And here she comes splashing out of the water in this new costume with these powers. And, you know, over the the span of like the next, you know, 20, 30 issues, she was alternately incredibly powerful. I mean, to the point where, you know, it was godlike or her powers were just like cut out and, you know, she had nothing, you know, so you go from being omnipotent to, you know, not, you know. But, you know, then she became Dark Phoenix. And and really, the whole thing was going to go another way. It's just Chris Claremont got carried away by having her destroy this star. I mean, it was one thing. She destroyed a star cruiser, a Shi'ar cruiser, uh, with a crew that looked very much like the Enterprise crew, by the way. <laughs> and And then she went that extra mile because she destroyed this star. And there was a, an inhabited planet around the star. Four billion people who got killed. Now, they were like broccoli people or whatever. But, you know, I mean, still, they were, you know, humanoid life forms. And uh, when um, editor-in-chief uh, of Marvel at the time, uh, you know, took a look at this thing, he was like, hey, wait a minute. You know, you've got her just getting a psychic lobotomy. You know, Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief of Marvel. And he's like, you just got her getting a psychic lobotomy here. I mean, that's not going to fly. She killed four billion people. There has to be some retribution for that. You know, and because uh, they had written a beautiful story where she loses her telekinetic powers and just sticks around. And, you know, but then when Shooter brought that up, it was like, well, I guess we got to kill her. And they killed her. And, and that had repercussions that just traveled through X-Men for, you know, going forward. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, you had not just Jean, but eventually she came back. But there was Madeline Pryor, who looked just like Jean, who became the Goblin Queen, and Scott married her, and you know all this kind of crazy stuff. Because Scott was never the same. He ends up getting involved with the White Queen from the Hellfire Club, and a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, it was just crazy the kind of stuff that happened after that, you know. And things would have been a lot more stable had Jean survived as originally intended. But you know, the unintended consequences of that story, you know, and, and this is what people react to because if you have familiarity with this story and these characters, you know, then you know, you're like, oh, there's a way more to this than what they can cram into an hour and 57 minutes, you know? And so again, it's not the movie's fault. I mean, it's really not the movie's fault. It's the level of expectation of the viewers and particularly those viewers who are knowledgeable because it's a perfectly serviceable film. It would be like trying to I put mean, Lord of the Rings into one book or one movie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would yeah. it would sort of be like that. Yeah, I, I, Yuli, this was this was awesome, man. I'm I'm really glad that you kind of put this in per, into perspective because I I saw everybody was like, well, they need there's too much story to really fit it in, but like you kind of giving us context to it, being like, hey, remember that this is what happened in the comics it is because I had forgotten. The only thing I remembered was the as MC mentioned the the cartoon because they did it. I want to say it was like the five part. It was like a five part episode uh for the phoenix saga and then there was another five episodes of the dark phoenix saga because yeah. mm-hmm. at the end of the phoenix saga she like goes into the sun like to save everybody or like to, ki- to destroy the Emcron crystal 
and we figure she's gone, but then she shows back up and she's different and she's dark because the Phoenix force doesn't want to let go of her and the hellfire club gets involved. And it's, yeah, I mean like it's it, the, the way things played out was different in the cartoon than it was in the comics, but it was very similar. So yeah, I, I completely forgotten about that. Cause I haven't read the comics in I got in years. Cause I got a trade paper, like one of the, uh, the big like bound things mm-hmm. years ago when mm-hmm. I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read it before. And I, I wish I knew where it was actually. Now I want to go back and read it. <laughs> I might have to go to my local comic book shop and pick one up. Um, there you go. Yuli, thank you so Tashi much for, Station. for being all, yeah, exactly. Tashi station. Let's give those guys a <laughs> shout out because we went all of us together yeah. in our first official GGR meetup. Um, that place was dope, dude. It's, it's in, um, it's along in, with James Rambo. Mr. Rambo was there as well. Yes. Uh, it was mm. in Springfield. Was it in Springfield or Alexandria? Springfield. Okay. Tashi station is in Springfield. Look it up. It, it's an awesome comic book and collectible store. It, it is everything a geek's heart could possibly desire. And if they didn't have to actually close their store, we probably would have stayed there all night. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, Game of Thrones was coming. That's later. right. Yeah. <laughs> is that what got us out of there? Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, yeah. They were they were trying to get their uh, HBO Now subscription working on their TV there, so you could <laughs> tell they were like, "Guys, get out of here." Yeah. Seriously, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Yeah. 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 Guys, I want to thank you again for for being part of this awesome podcast thing that we do, and uh, for doing this uh, this. Uh, impromptu uh, trip to the diner as we talk about comic books and movies from 1989 and, uh, and all of those wonderful things. Uh, but I want to give a shout out to uh, Steve Monick uh, for doing another awesome uh, edition of the Geek Sheets. So, so thank you for that, Steve. I appreciate you, buddy. Um, I do the best I can. You know how it goes. Yes, indeed. And you always do a great job with what you have. So we appreciate that. Uh, MC Brooks, I know you got a song that you've been teasing us with. I think maybe we'll save this for next week, or are you going to be gone next week? Yeah, I'm, I'm out of town next week. I'll be in uh, Atlantic City. Son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> I wanted, <laughs> I really wanted to, if you were willing to, because we didn't even discuss it. I mean, a little bit. Just give us a little tease. You don't have to let us listen to any of it, but like, tell us about like what you what you've been working on. Uh, I was gonna I was gonna do a project uh, to release this summer, but I've I've been having probably some of the worst writer's block I've had in forever. And so I, I'm unable to really write anything that I'm happy with <laughs> at the moment. But I do have a couple, I do have a couple things that are finished. Um, I just need to get them mixed, and you know, eventually I can, I can, I can throw them up. Um, if if you enjoyed anything like Dark Dawn and anything involving all the nerdy references I had on Selfish, then you'll probably like what I will end up releasing at some point soon. Dude, I can't, I can't wait, man. I, I still, I'll listen to Selfish and I'll catch more references that I didn't catch the first time. So like, it is, it is one of those songs that's better the more times you listen to it. So I can't. Well, that's the, and that's, and that's a hallmark of quality production too, is that it has repeatability. Yeah, for sure, man. So like, I can't wait to hear what you got uh, coming up. Guys, the website's greatgeekrefuge.com. Make sure you check it out when you get a chance. There's lots of great articles. There's lots of great podcasts. Uh, I have been working on behind the scenes, another episode of stop me if you've heard this. And at one point I teased that I was going to do a Foo Fighters one, but I ended up falling down a rabbit hole and watching a documentary, uh, called soaked in bleach, which is about, um, a private investigator that was hired by Courtney love while Kurt Cobain was in rehab in Los Angeles and went missing. And the things that this private investigator reveals, and mind you, 
the things that he tells you that Courtney Love says, they're actually recorded conversations that he had with Courtney Love. So there's no way that this is like all made up or conjecture or hearsay. No, it's actual recordings. And it really puts into context his death. And everybody says, oh, it was a suicide. When you watch this documentary, you, you, you walk away thinking, maybe it wasn't. And there's some pretty compelling evidence that it wasn't. And I'm going to talk about that in the next episode of Stop Me If You Heard This. It's going to be about Nirvana and their music, but also about the mystery surrounding uh, Kurt Cobain's untimely uh, passing. So, Whoa. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're telling me Mm -hmm. that it's possible that Kurt Cobain didn't commit suicide? No, that he was murdered. I got to tune into that. Well, then my mission was accomplished in doing what I just did. Um, it's I, I'm I'm so excited about working on this, guys. So that will be coming up here soon. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, we've got lots of great stuff coming up here at uh, GGR, at the Great Geek Refuge. Uh, again, make sure you check out Yuli's stuff. Uh, Yuli, go ahead and you plug it because it's your stuff and you sound better doing it than I do. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Uh, you can tune in to the radio show each and every Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. If you're outside the listening area, you can stream the content via the website at WERA.FM. And we've got a whole bunch of other content on the uh, website at uh, at fantasticforum.tv. You know, a lot of the episodes of the television show, uh, we have different episodes of the radio show. We have different segments of the television show Broken Out. So uh, you can check us out there. Also, we're on um, Twitter at Fantastic, the number four, UMTV. It's really confusing, but it's worth it. And also, we're on Facebook at uh, facebook.com backslash Fantastic Forum. So uh, I hope you hope you tune in. I hope you have found me entertaining enough. And oh, by the way, these guys are on the show from time to time, too. So that's additional incentive to want to tune into Fantastic Forum. Thank you, Mike. Of course, Mr. Ulysses E. Campbell. Uh, guys, thanks again for tuning in to another wonderful episode of Great Geek Refuge Pirate Radio, or GGR Pirate Radio, as we like to you know, actually call it, instead of me saying the long form of it. But guys, again, this is fun for us to do. But the fact that we know that you're listening makes it that much more enjoyable. So thank you so much for listening and sharing and telling everybody about our wonderful little podcast here. But for all of us here at The Great Geek Refuge, uh, have a wonderful evening. Enjoy your weekend. And don't be a juice bag. Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website greatgeekrefuge.com for more podcasts and our awesome articles. This has been Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, boy!